To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did before. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say this to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not <clears throat> hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, guys. Revelation chapter 2 is where that's found. If you go to open your Bibles or your phones or whatever device you may have, be able to pull up God's Word. Verses 18 and following is where we see this specific letter. In the midst of other letters, the series Calibrate has been a great series. And, and I hope that you understand even the series. I mean, we can look at letters and think of all the things that, that Jesus had to say to the church, and yet it not be personal. But you've got to understand, the concept of calibrate means change. And so I, I don't know about you, but it's, for me it's been really good because it's basically said to myself and my own soul, what do I need to change, Jesus? What needs to be redirected? And, and I, the one that probably hit me the most was the first one, because I realized in my own relationship with Christ there are certain things I failed, had failed to say often enough to Jesus, and it was, I love you. I, I, you know, I do a lot of things for Jesus. I think about Jesus, but I, I really had never, like, in my mind, participating in his, his presence in my life and just simply said, I mean, I just love you. And I fail to do that. And it's kind of hard sometimes, right? You know, have you ever said, I love you to, the, to a girl for the first time? It's pretty nerve-wracking, isn't it? Like you, you hold back and you're kind of scared to say those words to somebody because you don't know what they're going to say, right? They could say, oh, that's so sweet. I like you too. And you're just crushed right there, you know? It's like, oh, man, wrong time, wrong person. Didn't work out, right? But man, when you tell somebody that you're in love with, man, I love you. And they, in turn, look at you and go, man, I love you too. Do you know what happens to that relationship? It, it explodes. It grows. It moves from where it is at that moment because all of a sudden you're mutually agreeing that you love each other and you say it and you say it often and you're excited because you love that person. You say that, but when you do not speak the words of I love you, even in your marriage, what do you begin to assume? Do they love me? Yeah, because i got to tell you, I mean, Jesus knows me. He knows my behavior. And he probably would say, yeah, you don't always love me, man. You don't act like it. You may say it. But you know what? This is what i got to understand. It, that, that those words, I love you, Jesus, and I love you more than these. I, I think that's a 
question that Jesus would ask each one of us. I think it's a universal question. If Jesus took a chair and you sat across from him and you sat down and he looked at you and he would just simply say, do you love me more than these? It's helped me because I begin to realize that in the midst of my own struggles and temptation, that when those are faced up there and I go, do I love Jesus more than this? Do I love it more than this temptation? More than this whatever I'm chasing or whatever is influencing my life right now? Do I love him more than position? Do I love him more than, than the object of, of the temptation? That's, do you understand what I'm saying? Do I love him more than these? And what I found is when I begin to speak that, the power, the power of the presence of God and the love of God in my life turns that temptation on its heels. So I'm going to tell you, this, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon per se, but just in my own personal life. And I'm telling you that the calibrate in my life has changed my stance against temptation. And I have found strength in just simply saying, Jesus, I love you more than anything else in this world in the midst of life. So that's free. has nothing to do with the sermon. Probably does, but who knows. So, all right. All right. Revelation 2 is this. This is why this is important. I've been calibrating because he's writing this letter. He's writing this letter to the church in Thyatira. And in this letter, he's writing to them that they may understand. There's a larger picture of all the seven letters that we're studying in this series of Calibrate. This is the fourth letter to all the churches in Asia Minor. It's the smallest city out of all the cities that are written. It's the largest letter. Don't ask me why, but it just is. It just happens to be the largest letter that he had issues with and dealing with them and encouraged them and loving them to bring them along. But notice that every one of these letters, when you look at the scriptures in Revelation chapter 2, and when you begin looking at all three of the letters, there's similarities. That's important note. When you study scriptures, when you read them on your own, it's important to realize what looks similar, what repeats itself, what is something that is done over and over again, because it helps me understand what Jesus is trying to communicate here through these letters, through the angel, through John, to us today, to the church there, and to us today. And one of it is its identity. The book of Revelation is a revelation of who Jesus is. And every one of these smaller letters introduces a certain portion of the identity of Jesus Christ. And that portion of identity is equal to the city and to the church, to the city of which the church sits in. And so here, Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God. He introduces himself as bronze feet and blazing eyes. But it's interesting because Thyatira is a city. Wow, one, that its main focus of worship and idolatry was Apollo, which is one of the sons of Zeus. That would be their anchor god out of all the gods that they would have worshipped, the many gods that they believed in and worshipped and, and, and honored with their life, their money, and all other forms of um, rejecting the one true God. It was this city that was a, a city of crossroads and commerce, and that was due to where it sat. It was a, had a robust, large economy. A lot of that was due to basically imports and exports of the trades. It was a place, it would be the Detroit of many years ago, Detroit of, of uh, Asia Minor. In the sense of in this city, they built and made all kinds of stuff. Um, clothing, dyed clothing, which was very, very expensive, wood Things out of wood, linen, metalwork, pottery, statues. You know, you always think about Rome, right? You always think about the big Colosseums, and you think about their big statues are everywhere. When you think about Rome, you think about statues. What do you think they made those things? Somebody had to be making those things. And this city was a part of that. And there's a massive commerce of this city, and that there are guilds. Guild, that's a weird word. But guilds, they're basically groups of, you had to belong to in order to be a part, for your business to be a success, 
But the problem is, if you were part of a guild, you also had to be a part of the practices of the guild. And part of the, the purposes of these businesses were making tools for idolatry, false worship, false gods. And in order to have a business of some type, you had to be involved with those types of things, including the, the sexual immorality that it was involved in worship and worship and violence. We think of our world today, our, our sexuality is very separate from anything spiritual. It's very physical. It has nothing to do with it. We have a very warped concept of it. They had a very warped concept of it as well because it was a part of their worship. Their sexuality and what they did was a part of when they came together. It was something that you and I would be go, what is, what is this? be the worst channel you can imagine or Playboy channel and they're going oh that's worship that would be what they would classify it as and it was in this context that the church said it's within this context that that they they worshiped this and it was in this context Jesus says this is who I am I am the son of God it's the only place in Revelation he, he calls himself that I am the son of God why because he's countering them to remind them that Apollo is nothing that he himself is the son of God, not a son of God, but the son of God, totally different. He is the one and only. He is the only one who gives us access and all mankind access to the throne, and that's through Jesus. And he refines himself as bronze feet, something, use of minerals and bronze and things that they would have used. And he says, I am the one who stands firm, and I am the one that has what kind of eyes? What was that, was that word? What kind? Blazing eyes. Now, doesn't this picture of Jesus kind of make you go, whoa, don't know if I'm going to meet him in an out. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we in America have Jesus as this passive guy that looks like a little, you know, a little like teddy bear that you take to bed with you. That's our Jesus. And this is not who he looks like here. This Jesus here is one that makes you stand back. Because what he's trying to communicate to them is this. Not in the sense of all this reality. What he's saying is, I see what no one else sees. I'm an all-knowing God. I'm an all-powerful God. I am the one who, who knows what goes on in your community. I know what goes on in your home. I know what goes on in your mind. I know your heart that you yourself struggle to know. I know you, and I know what, what, what pulls you away from me, and I love you, and I desire for you to be in a relationship with me. And he's saying, this is who stands before you. This is who writes this letter to the church, and that's, that is, that's the one who walks among us today. And this is what he says to the church. Keep it up. I love, in my words, that's what he's saying, because he's always, he always has this cheer side of the letter. Keep it up. He goes, I know your deeds, and they're good. The good works that God has set out for us to do to accomplish with our lives, not only as collectively as a church, but as individuals in our community, God goes, there's some good deeds you're doing out there. You're loving your neighbor well. You're taking care of the poor. You're, you're, you're reaching out with the gospel and helping people around the world. Your good deeds are, are incredible. He goes, you're increasing. I love this, the word he uses. You're ever increasing in love and in faith and in service. I would like that to be described about my life, that I'm increasing in those areas, that I today am not the same man in faith and in love and in service that I was 10 years ago or a year ago. And I pray that today, even in your life, you're able to think back, you know, where have I gone from five years ago? Am I still doing the same thing? Have I grown in faith? Have I grown in service? Am I doing anything now? Or, or am I engaging in community? Am I doing anything here at the Plainfield Christian Church, um, Dan Jones campus? Am I serving in the children's ministry? Or the first? Am I doing anything? If you're not, there's work for you to do. 
But I want to tell you something. Out of 25 years, I love the history that I've been able to, I've been blessed to see Plainfield Christian Church increase in love, increase in faith, increase in service. I've seen it bloom, and it looks beautiful to, to see people who've given their life to Jesus Christ who didn't even know Jesus Christ. But now, because of your faithfulness and because of your love, they're in Christ today. We're almost 100, God has allowed us to be almost 190 years old. Isn't that crazy? That's a lot of life for a church. And we're increasing and we're growing. And I just want to say thank you for loving God so much. Thank you for just committing yourself to the mission that God has placed upon us to make an impact in this community. But, as she said, there's always a nevertheless. You see, somehow when we get to this place, we can kind of feel like we've arrived. You know what I mean? We're a big church, folks. Isn't it great? We're a big church. And you can come to a big church, and you can come and sit, and you can go, I go to that big church. You can take pride in the big church. You know that church there? They do a whole lot of things. They go and do this around the world. They go do, you know, you got active, they got all kinds of things that they're doing. Boy, they are doing just great. And if you describe Plainfield Christian Church as they all the time, that means something's missing in your life. Because it's not a they, it's a us. I'm engaged in, I'm helping, I'm, and we can, get, we can start doing this. We can kind of get, we can kind of get proud of ourselves for who we are and forget that there's things that we still need to deal with, still need to change, still need to move, still be willing to submit, still need to, because we can get really arrogant. It reminds me sometime of, of the Star Wars movie, the original Star Wars movie, 1977 uh, movie of Star Wars, uh, the original, as I would say, yes, I was in high school then, and it was great. Didn't know it'd become something this crazy, but hey, it's, a, it's fun to watch through all these years. But I love the scene when you have Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Now, they're in the Millennium Falcon, and they're both in, the, in their big guns because they're being chased, uh, being chased by all these TIE fighters. You know, you know the scene, right? They're boom, 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 they're firing away, and all of a sudden, Luke gets lucky. He gets lucky. And he shoots one of them down. And he's all excited. I got one. Well, and this is Han Solo reaction to Luke. Go ahead. I got, I got him. Great kid. Don't get cocky. Right? And I think that's the message for us today. Hey, man, I'm doing great in my faith. I'm doing so much. Don't get cocky. Hang on. Don't get cocky. Because there's an evil one who, who man, he... he he has her ears, and he sweet talks awfully nice. And he makes us think that we're still on target, and sometimes we have moved our eyes, we've moved our heart, we've moved our faith, we've moved our belief, we've moved it off. You see, this arrogance is a common attitude that, that shows up all through scriptures, through the apostles. And, and Jesus wanted them to know, listen, yes, yes, there's some great things happening, but there are some issues. It's sort of like having your house inspected for it to sell. You're always kind of nervous, right? And they come back and go, hey, man, you, your roof looks it's just great. Your, roof, your walls look good. But your foundation is kind of going like this. And at that moment, you go, whoa, wow. I don't know if I want to change that. And you know right away, it's like, no, man, this is not going to sell unless you change it. And Jesus is telling the church in Thyatira and to us today, listen, when, when we are confronted by a holy God, one, because he loves us, that's why he confronts us. But two, it is to induce change. 
And we have a choice in that change. You see, because the problem that Jesus had with the church there was with this toleration of this person, this woman called Jezebel. Now you're asking, wow, Jesus is getting really personal. Wouldn't you love to get this letter in the church and say, hey, Jesus sent us a letter and he calls out Jezebel by name. Anybody uncomfortable about that one? You know what I'm saying? It'd be like, whoa. Now, some would say, was Jezebel a real, her name? I don't know if it was her name or not, but there was somebody who was living as if she was Jezebel. And you go, well, well, who's Jezebel? You gotta go back to 1 Kings and 2 Kings. You gotta go back to the divided kingdom. You gotta go back to Ahab, who was the king of Israel at that time. And the king of Israel, Ahab, um, was noted to be a king who had done more evil in the sight of God than any other king. Wouldn't wouldn't you be known for that? You did more evil than anybody else who's ever been put in this place of authority. You have have disallowed God, his throne. You you have allowed so much to happen. And one of the things he did right away as a king is he married a princess from Sidonia. And her name was Jezebel. Now, the Sidonians didn't worship God. Matter of fact, she wasn't a Jew at all. She was a pagan. She was a Gentile. Immediately, Ahab is breaking and dishonoring God because he basically said, hey, I'm going I'm to marry this woman and bring her in. And as soon as you read through that 1 Kings 16, it doesn't take too many sentences before you see that when Jezebel comes in, Jezebel also is allowed to bring her gods. She's also allowed to bring her worship. She's also allowed to begin and to develop priesthood. Not out of the tribe of Levites, anybody who wanted to follow her ways. And this way of Jezebel and worshiping Baal had a lot of sexuality to it, promiscuity, whatever you wanted to do kind of went with that. It was the, the worship of, of, of gods and on hilltops and hillsides throughout the countryside. They, they would set up poles everywhere. They would come and they would worship and do things that you and I would not even dream of talking about in here at this moment. And this is the influence that Jezebel brought and King Ahab allowed to bring into the nation of Israel that the nation itself began to be affected and God had to punish the nation of Israel, punish Ahab, punish Jezebel. And a matter of fact, it's very interesting because this whole context about um, God being patient with the Jezebel in this Revelation 2 passage occurs in the king's passage with Ahab, who at one point when he's confronted, kind of feels sorry, and and God says, I will hold back judgment. I think about three years. But you know what happened to Ahab and Jezebel? Even though that moment of like, oh man, God, you're right, I, I was wrong in doing all this, it didn't take him long to be right back to his old nature, and he decided that he would disregard, and God's judgment came down upon him. And he said, listen, church, Are we being tolerant to sin? Are we allowing sin to have a place at our table and sit next to us in life? Are we, are we being arrogant and prideful and thinking, it won't affect me? It won't bother me? It won't, it won't ruin my marriage? It's a, just a little raw you know, movie that has some nudity on, in it. it. It won't lead to pornography, maybe. But then again, it might. And that won't really affect anything, but it might. You see, too many times we, we pretend we, we are holy and don't like that stuff, but there are times when we actually kind of like, hey, I want to buddy up to sin. I, I want to have it place, and I give it place in my life. You know, we want things like uh, accepted at work. So maybe some of you, 
And I have been in my, not since I've worked here, I'll say that. Uh, you know, the, the language. Steve cusses a little, I do too occasionally, but we, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm joking, I'm joking. But, but you know what I'm saying? Hey, I work here. Everybody uses a lot of foul language. I really don't, man, I, I'm, I, I don't want to fit in because I, I want to advance in my career. So I'm going to joke. Or we're, guys are gonna, in the office are going to go out and have some drinks. So let's go out and have some drinks. And okay, they're going to start hitting on, on women that are in the bar and they're married. And so, well, that's, hey, it's just simple, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're, we're like embracing sin and, and calling, oh, it's, not, it's nothing wrong. It's wrong. You know, being young, a lot of young, young guys, young ladies in here. I, I know too many, too many years of youth ministry, know too many young ladies who had some guy that, man, just liked them and they liked her and they just, you know, she was a Christian and then all of a sudden, I mean, he wasn't, but they, you know, that didn't matter because they weren't going to get married and all of a sudden, before long, Things that were stated I would never do because I love the Lord and I'm going to keep my body pure for marriage goes out the window. And next thing I know, I get the call that she's pregnant and she's getting ready to have an abortion. How, how do we go there? How do we, uh, we... We do it because somehow we think it doesn't affect us. And Jesus, Jesus here is warning them that, listen, this bed of Jezebel leads to death. Our sin that we want to play around with and think it's okay, and Jesus is going to forgive us because he set up this great system. He died in order that I can go and do whatever I want to. No, he didn't. Because if we have that kind of attitude, if I can go do whatever I want to, then I don't understand the blood and the work of Christ, and I have no love for him, but rather I despise him and abuse him. Jesus calls us to no longer tolerate sin, no longer dethrone him, but allow our life to be restored to him. So we, we need to pay attention, right? We, we need to be real. We need to realize, yes, this is sin. We need to call it for what it is. We need to pay attention to it because we want to grow up. I don't want to live a life where I am, whenever time sin comes around me or temptation comes around me, excuse me, time I'm tempted by the evil one, by something in front of me, by my own flesh, that I, don't want, I just want to be drug off somewhere. I know somebody that is so light in their, in their body weight that when it's windy, they don't go outside. You know why? They're going to get knocked I'm t- telling you the truth. They're going to get knocked over. They, they're such, such a little lady. I have a, I have a 10-month-old granddaughter that is, that is just learning to, to pull herself up and walk right now. If you go, oh, I mean, she's a boom, she's off and she's down. She's crawling around. She's a, we, she's a weeble that does fall down and she doesn't get back up. I mean, but that, does that describe us? I think of Doug from the movie Up, right? Everybody know Doug? Your favorite dog, right? So as much as Doug wants to focus, as hard as Doug wants to focus, every time, you know, he's trying real hard, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Yeah, right? Oh, he's off and running. Right? It's exactly. That, if that, does that describe your spiritual journey of where you're at? When there's a temptation, squirrel. Hey, did you, hey, did you go to the game the other night, girl? You know, Guy. TV show, whatever, whatever it is, 
You see, Paul, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he said, listen, don't, don't be drugged off by false teachings and lies because they lead to death. They may seem humorous on, on one side, but they are not, and our sin is to be taken seriously, and he wants us to be mature. In Ephesians chapter four, he says, then we will no longer be infants. When we mature, we're not gonna be infants that can be easily knocked over. We're not gonna be tossed back and forth by the waves. We're not gonna be blown here or there with every wind of teaching or by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. You don't think there are people out there that wanna drag you away from Jesus? The world wants to drag you away from Jesus. Instead, he says, speak the truth in love and we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Listen, there is, I love verse 15, instead. Wait a minute, there's a choice? There's a choice. If you're out there living like I am just being, I'm being yanked everywhere, I have no anchor, I want you to know that today you have a choice instead. Jesus gives us a firm place to stand. He just does. Probably some of the greatest parts of this text for me, and I just want to share with you. This isn't a great, I don't, you know, hang on to this thing and hang on to this thing sermon. It's just God's slow to anger. Does that excite you? It should. Because he has every right to be against me, to hate me, to destroy me. I want you to know these letters aren't about that. They're, they're really about letting us know, listen, God loves us. He gave Jezebel time. He, he intervened in so many ways with this woman that she would turn from her ways. She would stop dragging other people with her that, that, that would all come to an end, but she refused. And I wonder in my own life, how many times have I refused the presence of God? How many times have I ignored the Holy Spirit? How many times have I said, yeah, I know that's in your word and I'm not supposed to be doing that? How many times have I chosen another way and God's going, I'm patient with you. I love you. Will you not come back to me? Stop pretending. God's slow to anger. And today that's the message to us. It's not to point out your sin. You already know what it is. Today it is to remind you of the love of a God who is patient and he calls us. And Joel, this prophet who speaks in the second chapter, verse 13, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Do you realize that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth of God? You wonder why Jesus hasn't come back? He's a patient God. I pray he gives me another day just so that tomorrow I can say I love you, Jesus, more than, more than whatever. I want to know the day that in the midst of this God who's patient, what do I need to respond? And it's real simple. He asked Jezebel to do it, and I think he asked us to do it, and we see it all through the, the New Testament. He says, repent. Repent. Turn to me, he says in the third chapter of Acts, so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You may have come in here this morning just with a bunch of guilt and shame. And it's like, man, these people would not even like me if they knew who I really was. I want you to know Jesus knows who you really are. And he loves you. 
and all that guilt and shame that we have, he just says, repent, come back to me. It's a, it's a word of not just heart turning and mind turning, but posture turning. It's turning to God, not away from God. It's saying, God, I, I, I want you and I need you to be right here in front of my face because if you're not in front of my face, I get distracted. And so I want to keep my face turned towards God and not towards the things of this world, not towards the things of the flesh, not towards the things that pull me away. I want to be, I need you right here. And I need the, the, all this junk, this sin causes, this guilt. I want it gone. There's only one cure. It's the blood of Christ. There's only one cure. It's to turn to Christ, to believe in him, to come and to submit and to turn away from that and say, God, cleanse me. Break the chains of sin that I have embraced and called and allowed in my life. Cut them out. Don't leave with the same luggage you came in with. Lay down and allow the power of the blood of Christ to restore, to refresh, to renew. For he is what we need. Jesus today, in the midst of this text, there's so much more. But the bottom line is we need you more than the things of this earth, more than the things of this world, more than, more than what we may think we need. We need you. And Father, that our soul may find freshness in life again instead of death of sin. Father, I pray for those that may be here that have been just holding back for whatever reason. I pray that today, Father, will be a day of salvation for them. That they will let go of the things of this earth that lead to death and confess you and come to you and run to you can't wait to renew. And Father, for some of us that have been walking with you for a lot of years, and Father, we may find ourselves of just being arrogant and think we've arrived. Forgive us for that. Confess our sin of just that. And Father, ask that we would, that we would allow you to confront us and move us, to calibrate us, that we may be more in line with you so that you may be known. Thank you, Jesus. May we freely allow you to move in us. In Jesus' name.